Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Well, here we are a little after 11 p.m. Wimbledon time, Friday night. Myself, Catherine Whittaker, David Law soon to join me, but not to worry because we have Simon Briggs of The Telegraph who has just filed for the day on what has been quite a day, Simon. Where on earth do we start on this daily Wimbledon tennis podcast brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Amazon Prime Video UK, the home of the US Open in the UK. Simon, where do we start? Uh, I feel like we might need some chemical assistance to sort of (laughs) regain energy and uh, do the day justice because I'm a bit sort of spent really. Um, My desk is, is like an absolute... It's like a, rub, a rubble of chocolate, wrap, chocolate wrappers, teacups I've knocked over, pieces of paper with stats on. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever left it in such quite a, a chaotic state, which is a, a, sort of a, a metaphor for the state of my brain as well. And how much is that the fault of John Isner and Kevin Anderson, who fought for six hours and 42 minutes? It was one... 26-24 in the fifth by Kevin Anderson and I'm not sure either man will ever be able to to walk fully <laughs> in the same way again. Yeah, we didn't go into the press conference. Um, Dan Schofield covered that for us, but apparently Kevin Anderson did say the best of five format with no deciding set tiebreak was now uh, a serious health risk to the players. I mean, I listened to yesterday's a podcast of Mary Carrillo saying that she felt that the uh, that the what was it the six hour match that Rafa and Novak played probably took a year off their careers. I mean that wasn't a that, that wasn't a long fifth set, was it? In terms of the number of games, I can't remember. Now. No, it wasn't in terms was of number. The, it was more just the, the grueling nature of the rallies. Of the rallies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but I mean, I remember but, John McEnroe saying that the Isna Mahu match took estimated that that took a year off John Isner's career. Well, he must, he must have been going on until 45 um, <laughs> uh, before all these epics began to uh, impact his health. 
Um, he's a resilient fellow, isn't he? I didn't. Uh, I, again, I mean, there was so much going on. I don't actually know what he said. Have you, have you looked at his transcript? John Isner. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, he uh, he agreed with with Kevin Anderson. He agreed, usually on this sort of issue, you know, best of five sets, best of three breaks, fifth set tie breaks. There is such difference of opinion that you get the feeling that nothing will ever really change because no one will ever be able to come anywhere close to agreement. And all of a sudden, there seems to be a seismic a shift, a real tipping point. Everybody seems to be in pretty unilateral agreement, if not for a, a, a tie break necessarily. At six all, 12 all seems to be the proposal most agreed upon today and and, I, and certainly John Isner said he was up for a 12-all tie-break as David Law shifts into position fresh from the centre court commentary box where he has been covering another match uh, this evening that featured uh, quite a, a good tie-break to end it but we will discuss that in due course we are unsurprisingly David covering the 6 hour 40 minute epic that was and we don't <laughs> we don't really know where to begin so we sort of started at the end uh and the fact that everybody seems to be in quite a lot of agreement that it's probably overall not a good thing that the match went that long especially with a view to the final i i don't know about you but i can't see kevin anderson being able to compete in any meaningful way in that final i'm not sure who could after what happened today I think logically, I think you're quite right. I mean, if you think back to... I know it's, it's, it's a lot, lot less. I mean, it's half as long as that Isner Mahu match. But if you think back to that, Isner was a shell of a man in the next round and he lost 6-love, six 6-3, six six to Timo Debaka. Now, I, I, I don't think Anderson will be in quite that state, but he already has had one thirteen eleven in the fifth against Roger Federer. You know, he, he went long with Gael Monfils and this... This at the end, I mean, it was just, it was a shame because sets three and four were interesting and good tennis. And then the final set, I mean, it was great in a kind of discussion level. Everybody was talking about tennis, but yeah, I mean, he, he basically had to stumble over the line. Um, I, I actually think he's got a much better chance of being something like physically fit than Isner would have done. Isner looked as though... I mean, he travels with a chiropractor, doesn't he? You look like you needed to put him back together. I'm not sure. I, I think it could take months before Isner's fully right <laughs> again, Simon. Well, what I don't know is how much uh, damage he'll take into his grey matter as well. I mean, the, the guy's lived some tough days, hasn't he? He's, uh, he's a bit of a punch bag. And uh, you've got a feel for him. I mean... I uh, spent uh, an hour with John Isner before the French Open doing a special feature on his serve. And he's actually, he's a a terrifically amiable, helpful guy. Um, You know, his politics have been debated a bit. I think you talked about them on the show yesterday, but on a one-to-one level, he's really a charming bloke to deal with. So I really feel for him. Mind you, I mean, of of all the classic bloody post-match um, briefings to, to the BBC interviewer what absolute class from Kevin Anderson when he came off and he just couldn't speak of anything other than how bad he felt for Isner that was uh, I mean you know sometimes we, we get frustrated in the press room because we're all deeply cynical individuals in the press room about how tennis fans like uh, to see all the good in everyone but we did see the good in those guys today yeah, it, w- it was quite it was quite special from Kevin Anderson really to have the the presence of mind, the clarity of thought, and, and articulation to be able to express himself that well. Because his reaction when he won made me feel a bit sort of weird and sad. Really, like yeah. he just didn't look 
of course he somewhere in there he was happy but there was so much going on there and he was so obviously feeling for this guy on the other side of the net and that he, he seemed to be consumed by concern for how John Isner would fit. Presumably for the majority of that fifth set he was struggling not to imagine with, with every passing game it got more awful for the person that had to lose it um, and of, each of them of course will have been contemplating that I'm sure um, and yeah I don't I, oh, I, I, I'm, I'm sad for Sunday I'm sad for Sunday because I just I can't see how it's going to be any kind of event. Well, what I would say is the way the Nadal Djokovic has turned out might level it up a bit. Um, I, I actually well because the winner of that potentially is going to be in just as bad well, a way. Kind of, yeah. But I, I, I like I say, if if Isner had won, I think we would have no final of note at all. I don't think he would have he would have struggled to to get a couple of games a set um, because he just he could barely move at the end uh, John Isner Anderson I'm not I'm not quite so worried about he looks like he is somebody who who doesn't have that kind of structural issue with his body he still looked all right to me and 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 I think with a day off he can probably physically recover. I agree. I mean, he looked. He looked. He reminded me of Andy Murray when he won the U.S. Open a little bit, um, and, and as though he was in shock, really. And, and the, the the sheer exertion had had just made him feel wiped out. In the face, he looked like Skeletor. I mean, he looked like there was sort of no no man <laughs> behind this. That you know, there was there was no no human being left there. Come back later. There is no man left here. Did you think he was going to cry? I thought he was going to cry for a minute. Yeah, I did. Too. He, I thought he choked a little bit in yeah. that post-match interview um, and by all accounts I've only read the transcript of his press conference but by all accounts he did really really well I was on standby today to do his pre-final the look ahead interview so they do the their their post-match, post-semi-final interview, and then the, the the winners do their their pre-final press, which is considered kind of a separate chunk of press. And unsurprisingly, the the lazy bloke that Kevin Anderson is decided to defer that um, <laughs> <laughs> until tomorrow. And I was dreading the prospect of him saying, "Yeah, I'll do it tonight," because it would have felt wrong to look ahead to Sunday after what he's been through today. It would have been wrong to sit down and say, all right, Kev, I know what you've been through today, but let's put that behind us, yeah? Let's let's look to the future because it sort of deserves to be dwelled upon. Yeah, you're right. That, that, that was an event in itself. And actually, I felt that that match was the making of Kevin Anderson in the, the eyes of a lot of people. I mean, he's not... He's a very nice bloke. We've we've had dealings with him. There's nobody who has a bad word to say about him, really. But it's also quite difficult to kind of get into Kevin Anderson. You know, you don't look at the draw and think, oh, Kevin Anderson's playing. Or you don't think, um, I really sort of want to know uh, about uh, loads and loads about him. Which, which is harsh, but it's just true. He's got uh, a dog, David. He's got a dog. That's obviously <laughs> helped in your eyes. Uh, but at the same time tonight, I felt... Most people were, were listening to him and thinking, what a lovely bloke and good for you. And, and I felt like when he was describing how the way he won that break point, falling on the ground mid-rally, picking his racket up in his left hand, he's right-handed, picking his racket up in his left hand, holding it by the throat to play a forehand with his left, his wrong hand, and then winning the point. And then he described it afterwards and he said... My dad always used to teach me how to play left-handed as well. He insisted I would play left-handed rallies. 
and I never thought that it would come in handy to get me a break of serve that would put me in the Wimbledon final. I mean, it was just an amazing moment. I Does that point feature in your write-up? Of well, the I wasn't. Match, Simon. I wasn't doing the match report. I, I did a piece. I went up to see Mats Valander on the roof and talked to him about five sets and tie breaks and all that jazz. Uh, but yes, I think I think I said that that probably could be the uh, top of the piece. Is uh, I, I mean, it's, it's a pretty. Uh, pretty far-sighted call you've got to say from uh, Anderson Pear isn't it <laughs> to, have, uh, to have picked out that one as a, as a point to work on is Mats Valander on board with the oh, yeah. tie break at 12 games yeah. all I mean, yeah. he, he, and was he prior to today or I'm is today sure convinced that. him I'm not sure I asked that but I, I, what he did say is as these matches go deeper what happens is that you just concentrate on holding or serve so a break becomes less likely with each passing exchange of, of service games. And that's why it becomes a, almost a vicious circle. Because it, you, you have to channel your energy and you, 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 you can't let the other guy take your spot. It, it's kind of human psychology, isn't it? The, um, you, you don't wanna, you'd rather protect what you have yeah. than yeah. risk. Yeah, absolutely. Because because what you what you gain remains the same as you pass along. But it feels like what you lose grows it's with like every it's, passing game. It's a bit like extra time in in uh, in in the in the World Cup, isn't it? Because you know you, you often see them go into extra time, and neither neither team really goes for it. They both just sort of protect what they've got and then get into penalties. And there isn't that option here. That's why you need a tiebreak. Ultimately, you need penalties. I think at some <laughs> <Very good>. point. <laughs> You, is that a change of position for me, David? No, I, I, I've felt it for a while now, for a couple of years, actually, that, that you need a 12-all or a 10-all penalty shootout, tie-break situation. You need a finish line because I do remember, and even when, and at this stage, I still wasn't convinced of, of a tie-break in the fifth set, but I remember commentating on the 2009 Wimbledon final when Andy Roddick lost 16-14 to Roger Federer, and I remember going through that, that set and the lack of knowledge of there being any finish line makes it all feel a little bit absurd and you actually stop thinking about the tennis and you stop thinking about the Wimbledon title and you start thinking about the absurdity of it all and how silly it might get and whilst that's one an interesting talking point once 70-68 once it actually you don't want that to take over the sport and when I when I was preparing for the the, the pre final interview today with whoever it, it might have ended up being, I obviously had to prep for the scenario of Isner. And one of my lines of questioning was going to be, you know, how good does it feel to to have made yourself known for something at Wimbledon now above and beyond the seventy sixty eight? You know, you'll now be known as a Wimbledon finalist and not the guy that won the seventy sixty eight match and. Here he is now going to be known as the guy that won the 70-68 match and the guy that lost the significantly more important 26-24 match. And I just, I feel for him so much. And just one last point on that match, on Kevin Anderson, again, in in, in the research, I looked through some some quotes that he'd given sort of a, a few months hence, that US Open final, that his predominant feeling upon reaching that first Grand Slam final was relief and although he was okay with that at the time on reflection he realised that that probably wasn't the best state of mind to go into the final with and that probably wasn't the best and most healthy 
thing appropriate. I don't know if there is an appropriate thing to feel, but the the, the the way he wanted to feel in that moment. And yet again, I'm not saying it's obviously a very different set of circumstances. Yet again, he's not had the moment, the experience, the emotions that he envisaged or wanted to have going into his first ever Wimbledon final. And I just think that's it's a shame for everyone. It's a yeah. shame for everyone. Yeah, a bit of a shame, but I, I think it's good for him that he gets the day now and he'll wake up and I think there'll be a huge amount of pride there and then it's business as usual though because I think he will go out there and really have a go for this I mean we don't know whether there is any underlying injury or or whatever but I got a feeling he could make it competitive he's gonna have to just hit out whoever the opponent is and in case you you haven't been following and tennis has certainly had a a a big platform tonight because it ran late it was live on BBC Radio, it was live on BBC TV. I had friends that only watch tennis about once every five years texting me about the Nadal-Djokovic match. Nadal and Djokovic are locked, locked overnight with Djokovic leading two sets to one. And whoever Kevin Anderson faces of those two, he's just going to have to absolutely belt it and go for it, isn't he? Well, A, he's very fit. Um, so if anyone can recover from that match, he can. B, he doesn't really grind points. He's pretty uh, short and, and sweet on the way he plays. And C, you know, frankly, the quality I saw tonight in the second match, I don't think he was going to win the final anyway. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right.
It was an extraordinary level tonight. I, I felt like we were watching tonight. I mean, story of the match, Djokovic won the first set 6-4, Nadal the second set 6-3, and then the third set was one of the great sets of tennis you will ever see, including a tie break that could have gone either way. I felt we were watching tonight those two at their very best pretty much all night long and you had three hours of it you had Djokovic in the the form of three years ago you had Nadal in the form of ten years ago here it was just I want to go and watch it again it was that good and uh, it was uplifting the crowd just could not believe their luck to be honest well you know when you when you give up chocolate for Lent and then and then you uh, you come back and you have your your first Kit Kat or something it was like that because we haven't we haven't seen a, a big four match at a slam since the 2017 Australian Open, and I realised how much we've been missing it when they went out there. I mean, it, it was quality of tennis combined with depth of texture, with the sort of layers of past uh, tactical developments, the way that. that you know, Nadal mastered Djokovic, then Djokovic mastered Nadal. Uh, historically, the, the, the balance of power ebbed and flowed, and then you had this insane tactical battle going on out there. With uh, N- Nadal was slower off the mark, probably he was a little bit stiff. I think he was a bit short first set, and Novak was deep and flat, and he, he was dominant. And then Nadal got his, back, his forehand up the line going in the second set, and then the third set he was doing the same thing he was against El Potro, lots of dr- drop shots. And it was, I mean, I was thinking if, if the people who invented tennis, like in the, in the late nineteenth century, you'd have liked to have brought them up. And this is what you created, you know. It's just this is how far it's come. And more specifically, Simon, what we haven't seen is it was like Federer and Nadal took over from from Murray and Djokovic. You could almost see it at that Australian Open when Djokovic lost to Ustamin, Murray lost to Misha Zverev. We ended up with a, a Federer and Nadal final and. After that, we had both Murray and Djokovic taking significant periods off, and since then, neither has been able to come all the way back, as uh, as Mary Carillo would say. Murray barely made any comeback at all. So we haven't seen... The, they just sort of took over without having to wrestle the reins back from, from Djokovic and Murray. This is the first time we've seen this sort of two separate parts of the big four clash since that big shift um, and I've been waiting for that for a long time it's it's you know it's like we haven't seen Murray Djokovic in two years how ridiculous is that no and and we just and in the couple of years the few years we've had we haven't seen them at the top of their game at the same time that's that's what you've described that rebuild because if you go back three years ago Djokovic won 11 out of 12 meetings between the two for a three-year period and um, and then Nadal now has won the last couple and, and Djokovic has felt just a shadow of the player that he was. Well, he was back tonight and that first set, he just stepped up and he put his chest out and he just stroked that ball for, for winner after winner and Nadal was digging in, doing all he possibly could. And then the third set, they just... It was like two superheroes just colliding. You know, you, you see these comic strips and and... Oh, it was amazing. I, 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 
I couldn't see how Djokovic was going to win that set because Nadal was so inspired. I thought thought your analysis of the tactical battle was fascinating because Djok, because Nadal had to go to plan B. He was trying to stand toe-to-toe with Djokovic early on and then he had to change it and start trying to bring him in and, and uh, create angles that way. He did have it. This is this is nitpicking. This is really, really nitpicking because I don't disagree with anything that you've said. But Djokovic had him. I thought he really had him at a, a, a set, and he wasn't a breakup in the second. But he really, you know, you were referencing the fact that okay, they've got this incredibly tight head-to-head. But there was that two-year period when Djokovic just had his measure, and it looked like we were going back to that. We were reminded of all the ways that Djokovic should sort of figured out how to neutralise Nadal and he threw in one slop in fact was he a set and a break up no he wasn't he threw in a sloppy game you were commentating David uh, uh, Novak Djokovic did and he let he and let, then he broke back yeah but then he got broken again there was yes. break 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 yes and he let mm. Nadal back in well. and it's that that we were talking about with Mary yesterday isn't it the fact that you just can't have a lapse against Nadal he doesn't let you in now Djokovic has done incredibly well to recover clinch that third set it may not end up costing him and certainly there were far fewer lapses than we've seen from him in recent times but it was still a lapse that it, it, that we wouldn't have seen at peak Djokovic yeah it, well it was a lapse that Nadal didn't have Nadal's level was more constant Djokovic's level was higher uh, in the bits that he played really well and you're right it, it, they, they exchanged breaks and then when Nadal got his third break he then streaked away and, and actually won the set relatively comfortably in the end um, in the third set Pat Cash about halfway through quite quite quickly came to the conclusion that Djokovic could do with this going overnight and he needed a break and and the break would suit him more even if he'd have won the set even if he'd have lost the set because he was puffing a bit he was he is not used to this. Let's not forget. He's not hardened to playing these in these matches at the moment. He used to be a, a master of it. He just hasn't been doing it lately. Whereas Nadal's playing against Juan Martin Del Potro and he's winning the French Open again and all this. You know, he's just so locked into this type of battle. Um, and I think this makes it fascinating now because I could I could see Nadal winning from two sets to one down. I'm not sure I could see Djokovic winning from two sets to one down. I mean, the great thing about it was that in recent times when they played each other, there's been a clear favourite going in. Uh, whereas this one, no one knew. It was almost like we've got all the history and that's part of the story, but we were also starting out from a completely clean sheet because there's been such a long time, there's been so much has gone under the bridge that it was almost like, right, who's going to establish the psychological advantage and what's that going to do for the rest of the year? I mean, and, you know... It, it feels like a final already because you can't see Kevin Anderson beating either of them, particularly after the six and a half hours. So it's just an immense, absolutely immense collision. It really, I mean, I use the word collision, I think, as well, like you did, David, in my piece. In terms of the resumption, for me, there were, t- there were two big um, questions about the resumption. Would it be before or after the women's final, which is scheduled at 2 p.m.? Now, At first, I I assumed before, and then I thought, hang on a second, usually in this situation, it would be scheduled as the second match on. It's never, a resumed match is never scheduled first because it's seen as too much of a quick turnaround, and that's not even accounting for an 11 p.m. finish. Um, 
and I assume that the players on that front were given the option and we've just been handed the order of play and it's a 1pm start with Djokovic and Nadal to resume with the women's final not before 2pm. Now, it's hard to see that women's final starting on time, I think. So they're not prepared to move it for the World Cup but they will move the final for this. So, yeah, that's that's happening. But it, it could be a, a 45-minute set. And could be. Novak could win it. Could be three and a half hours. Mm. And it also, I mean, realistically, the the shortest, it's the absolute shortest it's going to be, a set between them, what, 40 minutes? 40, 45. It's 20 minutes of faffing before they hit the first ball. Yeah. I mean, absolute best-case scenario is the final starts just about on time. The likelihood is it, it won't. The other big question mark is about the roof. Now, Stuart Fraser... Um, your colleague from the Times tweeted that the players were going that the default would be this is not official but I think he'd had a chat and off the record I think we had a briefing yeah. a briefing with the referee's office and the default would be that they would resume under the roof unless both players agreed otherwise now well, Novak's, Novak's not going to yeah, say open the roof there ain't no chance Novak is saying yes please open the roof it would seem absurd to keep the roof closed when it's 27 degrees outside um, <laughs> because that's what it's going to be tomorrow. But you're quite right. I mean, no- Novak Djokovic is probably the best indoor tennis player in the world. And look how many times he's won the O2. Well, Rafa Nadal is the best conditions type of player in the world, you know, when it's windy and stuff's going on and the ball bounces high because of the sun. So, yeah, it, phew, that's an I, interesting. I one. find it a bizarre one because you plenty of times you'll start a match under an open roof and finish mm. it with a closed roof. It's not like the whole match must always play be played in the same conditions. And if there's rain forecast for at four pm and the match starts at two pm, they'll they'll close the roof because you know we're not going to be able to get the whole thing played with the roof open and and frequently rain will stop during a match the roof will be closed it'll be raining the rain will stop and they you know, you'll think oh maybe they'll just carry on and play with the roof closed and they don't they pause the match to reopen the roof and they make a big song and dance about how we're an outdoor yep. tournament and best effort should be made to play outdoors this seems like a weird one to me if if accurate it makes zero sense do, do, i i have to say i can't think of any matches here that have been held overnight with the roof and come back the next day so is there a, is there actually a precedent here well I the one i remember was um the baghdadis match they finished it I, I agree yeah they finished it that's the that's the one i remember going up against the curfew mm. there have been maybe doubles matches yeah maybe i mean I, I just think that this i'm not convinced that that briefing will will be what ends up happening i, d- I don't know well, it seems totally illogical i mean yeah. you've you absolutely destroyed it in, in 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 about 60 seconds there Catherine, haven't you it is a weird one and, and well, also and also, and also to make also to make the point of saying that you know unless the players uh, agree on a on a different course when we absolutely know <laughs> that there is zero chance of that i mean it, it, yeah, it's a significant advantage for Djokovic, isn't it, to, to have the roof closed? Put the sun on Rafa's back and some, he starts twinkling, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll want the ball to be hot, won't he? Um, and, and the ground to be as hard as possible. So, I mean, it's pretty baked anyway down there. But it's just the temperature. Will, and, 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 and It's also quite... It's indoor court almost when it's open, isn't it? So have you got Unlike two, court one. Have you got two predictions based on indoor and outdoor from here, you two? Well, I think that by winning the third set, Novak's more than 
two-thirds of the way there. I think he's three-quarters of the way there, just because I felt like Rafa was actually on top in that third set. I wrote it as being Rafa going in overnight 2-1 and had to uh, delete everything and turn the sets around, (laughs) just because um, even though the points... One was sort of level all the way through. Just Rafa was doing all the spectacular stuff. I wrote in my piece as well that he see, he seemed to finish the this section of the match with an incredible highlights reel of all these. Uh, he played, played a sky hook like like Kareem Abdul Jabbar from the basketball. <laughs> he um, brilliant. He, 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 he played uh, the, the 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 incredible sliced inside out forehand drop shot. I mean that's like. Whenever I call in to, to speak to one of my editors, he always says, oh, how's the inside out, down the line backhand? And, and it's like a sort of big joke. But that's virtually, there's so much going on in that one shot. It's almost like the thing he's talking about. That is a nerdy joke, Simon. That is a nerdy in-joke you've got going there. I love it. So the, uh, the, the way Novak kind of, he felt like he, he took it against the head. He was, he was soaking up punishment and just whipped in a sort of a, a quick punch that just staggered Nadal at the end of the, mm. the evening. I just feel like psychologically it's going to be... He's going to be a lot happier. So you've got Nadal from here? No, no. <laughs> Sorry, you've got Djokovic from here. Yeah. I'm confusing here. myself. What about you? I, I agree with you that had it been Nadal that had gone in two sets to one up, I'd be, I'd be beating the drum for Nadal all the way. I now put it at about a 50-50. Ooh. Yeah, I really? just think Nadal is going to be like a caged animal overnight. You know, let me at him. Um, and I still think Djokovic could be too good for him, but I, I, I struggle to see Rafa not taking it to five. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd probably go from here 60-40 Djokovic, maybe, because, well, he's two sets to one up, but, uh, but I, I, I kind of expect it to go five as well. But the, there has to be a chance that Djokovic finds that form that he found in the first set today and, and, and wins it. But anyway... Isn't it great? Isn't it great that we've had this and hopefully we'll have some more and hopefully we have a women's final of, of similar level because it, it's got the potential. Oh, it does. My Yeah, my main prediction is that final ain't starting on time. <laughs> uh, who's winning the women's final, Simon? Quick one. Yeah, I think Serena Williams. <laughs> a very quick one. <laughs> David, who's winning the women's final? Well, that was quick. Yeah, I mean, we discussed it um, at length yesterday, the women's final uh, and... And I do think Serena Williams will win. Um, but I think it could be a really good final. If, if, if Kerber can come out and play well from the start, I, I definitely think it can because she's, she's so sturdy at the moment. She's digging in and she's just absorbing everybody's power. So it's just that Serena Williams is better than everybody else on the planet. I'm going to be annoying and go Kerber. Well, you've been going that, you've been going that all along, haven't you? So... Uh... Yeah. I'm sticking to my guns. It worked. It's sort of maybe working with Djokovic. So I've got one last question for you, Simon, and then I'll let you all go and sleep. Um, what will get more space tomorrow? Isner Anderson in the, the spectacle and sort of history-making aspect of that or the brilliance and the star power of the unfinished Nadal Djokovic? Yeah, I think the... Uh the Anderson Isner match is it's got a spread, and and the unfinished semi final has only got one seven hundred and fifty word piece. I mean, it's partly the logic of result versus unknown. You know, newspapers don't deal very well being a, a once a day event. Online, it'd be different because you can keep things updated. But when you're dealing with a once a day event, it's uncomfortable when you when you don't have a, a finish on something. And the the news value of the whole is this. Is enough enough at this stage? You know, the uh, I was thinking before. What's what's the 
official comparison for stubbornness? Is it as stubborn as an ox? Yes, because stubborn it, because as it, an ox. Because given the way that it's been recently, it should it be as stubborn as the All England Club Committee. <laughs> um, but it's, it's about time that they... Uh, it's not as catchy, Simon. It's about time that they, they saw the light on this one. I thought it was strong as an ox. I don't know. Anyway. No, stubborn as a mule. No, kick like Maybe a mule. Maybe a mule, yeah. Stubborn as a mule. At Tennis Podcast, let us know what the <laughs> saying is, because we've forgotten. Can I give you one bit of un, uh, any other business, which is uh, that Jack Draper in the boys' final had his own marathon. I, I went down there for the last couple of games, and he won 19-17 in the third set in 4 hours and 24 minutes. He's 16 years old. I mean, I think that is a, a heck of an achievement from him. And when he won the, the final forehand cross-court, he collapsed to the ground. I've never seen anybody do. He just he dropped the racket and he collapsed as though he'd fainted. It was it was it was amazing moment. The crowd absolutely on their feet. He's the son, incidentally, of Roger Draper, the former uh, LTA chief executive. And I just thought it was a brilliant performance. He's the first. He's trying to become the first British boy to win that title since 1962. It's five years, I think, or seven years since Edmund was in the final, something like that. But, yeah, I, I just thought that was a pretty cool achievement from him. Yeah, it was. My dad sent me a text about that, which simply read, so it turns out Roger Draper can produce great tennis players. Yeah, well, there you go. Yes, that's... Uh... Meanwhile, Media was the loser. Did you see that? Yes, I did see that. I did see that. That was the name of the opponent. And <laughs> yeah. Simon Briggs with a little, uh, a little gag at the I end d- of the tennis I don't get it. Well, I thought on the day when Donald Trump was complaining about fake news, so media had a bad day on the uh, Oh, on and like court media. Oh, me- oh, yeah, fake news. It's late. Oh, my. Simon, it's been a pleasure. Go and sleep. Um, we all need our strength for tomorrow. Enough is indeed enough. We have been the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph, with Amazon Prime Video, the home of the US Open in the UK. Uh, we're brought to you by our executive producers, Manly Bowes, Triple S, TennisBalls.com, by La Manga Club, uh, by... Charlie the Ferret and we will be back I'm not sure it's even actually tomorrow it might be today 11.56 we'll be back tomorrow see you then Hey it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out Quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50-80% to less than other high-end brands and the best part They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.